And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. Okay, just fainted. Oh. <laughs> uh, that, that would have been my role, that little kid. Um, welcome, uh, everyone, to Rumble with Michael Moore. I am Michael Moore, and that was a scene from uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the great film by uh, the director Frank Capra, starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. And, uh, and that was Jimmy Stewart at the end of a very long filibuster uh, because he was trying to stop something corrupt uh, from happening. And he had asked the country to send telegrams to their senators to stop this. And that's why he kept filibustering and filibustering, meaning that he took the floor. And once he took the floor, he couldn't sit down. He had to keep talking uh, for as long as he could. And nobody could interrupt him. That was, that was what filibuster meant was the rules of the Senate. Uh, and so he, um, so he was in his, I don't know, it was probably his second, second day or whatever of, uh, not really no food or water. I think they gave him a little something. I can't remember now, but, uh, basically he had to stand. And as, if you could stand, as long as you could stand, you could stop that bill from going to a vote. That's what, a, that's what a filibuster was. And maybe, and maybe it did some good at some point. I don't know. I, I, I remember as a kid. It, it would happen, actually, every now and then. And then you would just wait for the person to faint, like Jimmy Stewart did. You just wait for them. They're going to collapse. The human body cannot stand in one place for three to four days without food and water. Uh, so they just let him keep going, and it delayed the vote for a day or so or whatever until they gave up. Or until the rest of the Senate, till they had 60 votes. If you had 60 votes, then you could stop the filibuster and save him from fainting. That's the way it used to be. Sometime, I don't know when, if it was during the Clinton era or whatever, uh, somewhere the Republican Senate passed a, a rule that said, um, in order, why bother making somebody do the filibuster? Let's just see if we got the 60 votes. And if we don't have the 60 votes, then the bill doesn't. We're not even going to go have a vote on the bill, which meant that for any bill to pass, you had to have 60 votes. And they called it a supermajority. Now, there's nowhere in the Constitution or any place where it says you have to have a supermajority to pass these, but they decided, and the Democrats went, well, I don't know, my guest is going to explain this, but all of a sudden, you couldn't get anything passed unless you had 60 votes, even though a majority is called 50, 50, 50 percent plus one, right? Isn't that how we define it through every other part of our lives? If, if there's a baseball game and, and, and the final score is six to five, who wins that baseball game? Anybody quick? The team that got six runs, right? The Super Bowl coming up. If it ends up uh, Tampa Bay 35, Kansas City 34, who wins the Super Bowl? Apply that to any other facet of your life. We know what a majority is. It's, it's half plus one. And in this case, in the Senate, it should be just 51 votes. But now the Republicans are threatening to hold up everything that President Biden is planning to do to get us out of the crises that we're in. The COVID crisis, the democracy crisis, um, the economic uh, downfall. I mean, we're, we've got some awful things we're trying to get rid of and deal with, and we have to do it fast. And they're going to try to slow it down in the way that they obstructed Obama. Do you remember that his first few years? And then once they got control two years after he was elected the first time, they just obstructed and stopped everything. And he couldn't hardly get anything done. That is their plan right now. Mitch McConnell uh, calls himself the Grim Reaper. He takes pride in being the, the killer of uh, anything the Democrats want to do. 
And so even though the, the majority of the people of this country have spoken, that they wanted to change, and they gave the Democrats the House, the Senate, and the White House, and, and every poll is showing how they, they support Biden's COVID relief plan, 70% of the country in the, in the latest poll I saw today, get out of the way. Let Biden do what he needs to do. We need to save lives. We need to bring back jobs. We need to pay the rent before we're kicked out on the curb. That's what the American public is saying right now. And yet, and yet, and yet, here we have Mitch McConnell trying to save the filibuster so that the Democrats will need 60 votes. And of course, they don't have 60 votes. And then nothing, nothing gets done. My friends, um, this wasn't the show we were planning to do today, but it is so close to McConnell being able to wreck the things that need to happen here in the Biden era. I said, let's, let's scrap what we're planning to do and let's, let's bring in uh, the expert. I'm going to introduce him to you right now because uh, he's going to tell us how this works and then what we need to do about it because we cannot be silent about this, my friends. And I need you to listen uh, to this episode. We're going to get right to it. Um, So, as I said, the Democrats, they now have the White House. They got a majority in the House. They got a majority in, in the U.S. Senate. Well, they have a majority because uh, Kamala Harris is the president of the Senate. So it's 51 votes to 50 Republican votes. But the Democrats are going to have to now deal with this cynical and ruthless opposition party. One third of the House of Representatives on the night of the attack on the U.S. Capitol. After, after the terrorists were removed, order was restored, and they came back in to certify the 2020 election, one-third of the House, all Republicans, came in and voted to not accept the votes of the people of Arizona and Pennsylvania. Just refused to accept their votes because they were trying to somehow some last gasp to give this to Trump. Now, this is what the terrorists were demanding when they stormed the Capitol. They were demanding that that vote be stopped and that they not count the votes of Arizona and Pennsylvania. And the terrorists, for at least seven hours, got what they wanted. They were able to stop the vote. They sent all members of Congress, both the House and the Senate, running for their lives, being taken to safe rooms in the Capitol building. And, and, and the business of the American government for the first time in our history was stopped because of an attack on our capital. Stopped not because of a, a, a foreign intervention, foreign planes bombing it. No, from our own people, our own people, supported by and encouraged by and incited by the president of the United States, who promised that he would go down Pennsylvania Avenue with them and take our country back. Of course, he didn't. He went back to the White House and had another bucket of KFC and enjoyed watching this cop-killing mob do the damage that they did and the deaths that took place. And then, after orders restored, our House, one-third of the Republicans in the House, and I believe seven or eight senators voted to give into the demands of the terrorists. If we've learned one thing in our lifetime has to been, you never give into the demands of the terrorists. It's exactly what they did. It's exactly how they voted. It was the most stunning thing. It's been called by the mainstream media. They've called it an act of sedition. That's exactly what it was. It's just, it was just, um, and you're not, they're not going to give up. Their plan is to block democracy in any way that they can. So this is what the Democrats are up against right now. And the Republicans, the Republicans, their best tool for mucking up any Democratic efforts at helping the American people right now, it starts in the United States Senate with minority leader Mitch McConnell and with the filibuster. The filibuster is the weapon now. They don't have the mob but they think they have the filibuster. Adam Gentleson is very familiar with what I'm talking about here, very familiar with these battles in the U.S. Senate because he is the former deputy chief of staff 
to Senator Harry Reid, who occupied the role that Chuck Schumer now holds as the Senate Majority Leader. Adam now is the Public Affairs Director of Democracy Forward, an excellent group trying to fight corruption, essentially in the executive branch. And he's also the author of a new book called Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. He joins us from Tacoma Park, Maryland, otherwise known as the People's Republic of Tacoma Park, Maryland tonight. And Adam, welcome to Rumble. Michael, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And thank you for doing this on such a short notice. Uh, and I love uh, I, the, the title of this book, Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. It's what everybody is feeling right now. The Senate was designed to be a majority rule body and was a majority rule body for the first 200 years almost of its existence. Uh, the 60-vote the threshold did not uh, even get put on the Senate books until about 1917, and then it didn't get used with any sort of regularity until closer to the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, this was, and the, the irony of the 60-vote threshold is that it was created in 1917 uh, to be able to be a tool to end filibusters. The right, idea, end it. Yeah, keep exactly. going. Yeah. Right, the idea was that, you know, after uh, a filibuster had been going on for long enough, you would have a reasonable senators be able to come together and say, okay, this has gone from an attempt at persuasion and debate into an outright attempt at obstruction. And so we, we group of reasonable senators here can come together and agree that it, whatever, whatever we, we think of this actual issue, we think it's time to end debate and move on. Uh, so let so me just, vote, so we understand what you're saying here. Yeah. So, so this is 1917 you're talking about right. when they, they put this in, because I would guess being the 19 teens, they're debating whether or not to let women vote. And, and this has to pass the Senate and the House before it can go out to the states. It was actually, right? well, that, that's close. It was actually a bill to uh, arm merchant ships in the entry of, of World War One. Same um, thing. Blocked. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> so women voting, arming merchant ships. <laughs> I see that in the same, the bulwark of democracy. Yeah, and right. Continue. So, 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 you know, but, but it was an, you know, it was an embarrassing, it was, what happened was an, was considered an embarrassment for the Senate at the time. Uh, there was, there was outrage against this filibuster. Uh, and so they implemented this new rule to say, okay, we're going to give you this tool uh, that 60, 60 senators can come together on a reasonable basis and say, all right, you know, this has gone on long enough. But the point of the Senate was to give the minority a say in legislation, to give them a platform right. to, to debate and to try to persuade people to come around. It was never the idea that the minority would be able to block things altogether. So the great irony of this 60 vote threshold is that those 60 votes were supposed to be what reasonable senators could do to say this debate has gone on long enough. What they didn't envision was our polarized era today, uh, where the minority would have a perverse incentive to use its power to block that 60 votes from passing to make the majority look bad. Uh, they didn't anticipate what political scientists call negative partisanship, which is the idea that you know people are in politics more to see the other team lose than to see their team win. And Republicans right now yield an enormous reward politically. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but this is just a fact of life. They yield an enormous reward from blocking Democrats. This is what happened, as you mentioned, to President Obama. They they blocked him, they made his life miserable, and they kept winning elections. Sure. Uh, when you make, when you're the party out of power, if the party in power is getting nothing done, it helps make your case for why you, the party out of power, should be returned to power. Uh, and so those are the sort of incentives that this 60 vote threshold creates. So what McConnell is doing, McConnell's yeah. laughing his, his butt off right now because right. Biden is is struggling and he's he's trying he has no you know he's, he's trying to come in with some momentum, and McConnell's blocking him. The headlines today are all about this organizing resolution that nobody even knew was a thing before McConnell made it a thing. Uh, so this this just goes to show how the filibuster creates these perverse incentives and allows the minority uh, to throw a monkey wrench into the system and then gain from it. So in the modern era, when did this start? The sixty vote threshold. So, like you had to prove you were going to get 60 votes to pass something that back for 200 years, the first 200 years, you just needed 51 votes. So it, it first started to be introduced on any regular sort of basis during the Jim Crow era uh, as Southern white supremacist senators. And those are that's the term they use to describe themselves, right. uh, started to apply this threshold to civil rights and only civil rights. There were a few other issues that would occasionally face a filibuster during this period. But those filibusters would always get resolved 
the issue would go on to pass on a majority vote within a reasonable time frame. Only civil rights from the end of Reconstruction until 1964, only civil rights were killed using this new supermajority threshold filibuster. Mm-hmm. So for, during that period up to 1964, it was only applied to civil rights. After 1964, something unexpected happened. After they broke the, the filibuster against the 64 civil rights bill, people thought, okay, well, that's over and done with. This thing's this filibuster is going to go, you know, be consigned to the dustbin of history. Instead, what happened is it got sanitized. It got uh, removed with its direct association with segregation. Other senators had seen how effective it was at blocking civil rights. And so they slowly started to apply it to their pet issue as a leverage point. Um, and this continued from the 70s into the 80s. The Senate made a bunch of changes that were basically procedural moves to make it easier to manage the body uh, that made this filibuster easier to wage. Uh, and so what you started to have was, was senators you know, getting in the habit of using this thing uh, when it was convenient for them. Democrats did it and Republicans. Um, but what happened was it started to become routine and it became the expectation that when this was applied, you had to get the 60 votes to clear. Now, I want to be really clear. This was still very rare. It was still the norm for bills to pass or fail on a majority basis through the 1980s into the 1990s. Uh, and what really changed was uh, Mitch McConnell uh, starting to use the filibuster um, against everything that the Senate did under President Obama. He, tur- he took what was a weapon uh, of occasional leverage uh, and he turned it into a weapon of mass obstruction. What was it about Obama that was so different from the other presidents that suddenly made this, uh, suddenly got weaponized? He, he, what, what, what was it that they were concerned about with him? You know, I, I just finished reading his his memoir, and he, he wonders the same thing. He says, <laughs> there was somehow something something about me that made them obstruct me yeah. uh, in a way that they didn't previous senators. You know, I, think I, might, I think I might have the answer, so next time I uh, talk to him, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him what I think the reason right. might have, might have been. Well, what's what's interesting about this is that you know I, I think it's safe to say that racism played a role in Republicans' obstruction of of President Obama and the reason they were willing to break a lot of these norms. The the problem now, obviously, that doesn't apply to to Biden, but the problem is, whatever their motivation was, they saw that this obstruction worked. You know, right. they used it against him, and the Republicans, you know, uh, uh, cruised to the biggest midterm victory uh, in in several decades in 2010. Um, they took back the House majority right away, and then were able to use that to block President Obama for the rest of his his two terms. Uh, so, you know, even if racism played a role, uh, which I think it did in in their obstruction of Obama, they saw that it worked. And so now uh, uh, they are going to use the same strategy against Biden for that very reason. It worked, pure and simple, in political terms. Um, if you know, it's hard to blame the party out of power for not getting right. anything done. The party in power ultimately is responsible. You know, for what what did you do? You know, what did you use your power to do? The public doesn't like excuses. They don't like to hear you saying, oh, it was the other guys who are blocking us. So they block the party in power. Biden's going to cruise into the 2022 midterms without much to show for his time in power. The same thing's going to happen as in 2010. Voters are going to be discontented with with his performance and they're going to return Republicans the majority. Right. That's exactly right. Okay. So you and I and everybody listening to this, we have to do something about this. Yes. And, and you have to tell us how we're going to do it, because just so just to underscore, again, it is not in the United States Constitution that you need a supermajority of 60 votes in order to stop a filibuster. And in fact, the way that when the filibuster, which had been around, the ability to use it had been around for a long time. Am I correct in what we showed at the beginning here with Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Smith goes to Washington that the senator had to stand? And stand and talk and stand and talk until he dropped and he had to hold the floor. And, and, and if he didn't, then the rest of them can move on and vote on the bill. Um, What, and I realize now from what you've said that, that the, the tradition got changed. It got changed under a, a mad, a mad fever desire to stop Barack Obama from doing anything. Um, I think, you know, you, People, you know, people watching or listening to this know the story of on the night of Obama's inauguration in, in January of 09, that top Republicans got together at the famous restaurant there in D.C. to have their, their cabal meeting and, and to decide, oh, we, have, we just have to block, 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 block. And, um, and it didn't matter. 
how good the idea was. Even Obamacare, even he, and he would joke about this. I'm now I've I've reduced my original really good universal health care idea to a Republican idea. This is the this is the the Mitt Romney, Massachusetts, uh, health care bill. So even when the, he would he would, I think if Obama had had proposed that your boss or Harry Reid had introduced a resolution uh, d declaring uh, April first Mitch McConnell Day like a holiday in honor of Mitch McConnell, they'd vote against that. Yep. There, am I, I mean, yeah. I'm not being facetious. Yeah, I mean, you're not, because here's the thing. I mean, so, so a good example of that is that there were, when, when you're confirming nominations, right, uh, there's some nominees who are so unobjectionable that there are literally no, no senators who vote against them. Um, and they're called unanimous nominees for obvious reasons. So Republicans under President Obama would filibuster these nominees and then once, just because it runs out the clock, even if you, so in the, the case of these nominees, we had the votes to overcome these filibusters, um, you know, and, and clear the 60 vote hurdle, but it still takes time. It takes several days per nominee. And we're talking about hundreds of nominees that we have to confirm. So they would, they would filibuster these nominees, uh, cause them to help run out the clock. And then once these nominees, once we break the filibusters after several days and get them to the floor, all the Republicans would vote for them. It was just for delay. They just would do these things to, to put sand in the gears, yeah. to, to grind the system to a halt, uh, because they knew that time, you know, time is a zero-sum uh, uh, entity. And, and if you take up time on these nominees who they actually supported, it's less time that you have to spend on other things. Uh, so you know, obstruction is the goal. Um, McConnell obviously famously said his, his single most important goal was to make Obama a one-term president. Fortunately, he didn't succeed at that. Uh, but he did did limit a lot of what Obama was able to do through the use of this obstruction. So you so you asked. I, I feel like I didn't yeah. answer the question because you asked what yeah. would be done. Um, so you know, I think you know it, it's we're in a difficult situation because Democrats don't yet. So so let me back it up here. Democrats can change this by a simple majority vote. That's the good news. You know, I say in my book that it's it's not an uplifting read because the history is so depressing. But but at the end, you know, the good news is. All you need to, to change this situation and completely reform Senate rules is 50 votes plus Vice President Harris, which Democrats have. Um, so right now you have several Democratic senators who are not on board with the idea of reform. Senator Manchin of West Virginia, Senator Sinema of Arizona, um, uh, probably a few others. It's not a big group, but they're very dug in. And I think what needs Democrats, to happen, Democratic senators. These are Democratic senators who are I'm not dug in mm -hmm, against this idea. They want to pursue bipartisanship. They want to. They want to see if it's possible to get Republicans to agree to these priorities. You know, I, I think that is a fool, foolish. It's a fool's errand at this point. After all we've seen, after all these years, to think that Republicans are going to come over and work with Democrats. But that's what these senators want to want to try to do. I think what's critical for folks to do is to keep pressing them on why they're not delivering on the results that President Biden and Senate Democrats promised they would deliver. You know, President Biden, fortunately, ha ended up having a pretty progressive policy platform. Um, I think the left pushed him on that very yeah. successfully, and he yeah. committed to a lot of major progressive po policy goals. Now we have to push him to deliver on those policy goals. And we should not accept as an excuse that he couldn't get 60 votes for these things, because Democrats at any point could vote to change the rules themselves, to reform the filibuster in any number of ways, and pass all of these policy goals just with Democratic votes. So I think keeping that focus on delivering the results they promised and don't give us the filibuster as an excuse for why you can't deliver. Okay, but now, now I need some, I need a therapist. <laughs> because what you just told me is the obstructionists right now, this week, are not these Republicans. It's Democrats. Yeah, the calls coming inside the House, yes. Because... Be, be, because what you just said, I'll just, I'm going to repeat it, make sure I got this straight, that, that because it's not in the Constitution, any bill, anything can pass with 51 votes. So that you got the 50 Democratic senators and you got Vice President Harris as the president of the Senate. There's your 51, done and done. But, but if you don't have the 50 Democrats and if they're blocking it, what do we do about them? 
Who, who else is it besides Senator Cinema from Arizona and Senator uh, uh, Manchin from uh, West Virginia? It's not a big group. There, there are some who, who have expressed hesitancy of, of changing the rules. And to be clear, you know, if you if you want to pass things with 51 votes, the first thing you need to do is is vote with 51 votes to change the rules. That's you yeah. know, all the new. Right. right. So, you know, there's some Democrats. Manchin and Cinema are the most vocal in opposition. Um, they have their reasons. Uh, the, the, the group who've expressed um, sort of soft opposition, uh, who say we're, we're going to wait and see what Republicans do, is slightly larger. Um, I think the reality is it's going to take a little bit of time uh, for the reality to settle in uh, that Republicans are not going to work with Democrats. Um, it's sort of like they have to go through the muscle memory of actually trying to work with Republicans, being blocked, and then facing the fact that there's no other way to deliver these results than uh, reforming the rules and allowing the Senate to go back to passing things by a majority vote. So but I think they, pressure, you, I mean, you got to be crazy, though, to think that the Republicans are going to come around and, and sing Kumbaya. They've proven right. over and over again. And I say this, that even though I can't stand what they stand for and what they do, I admire their tenacity where they do not. They are relentless. Their their belief in the things that they believe in is it puts us to shame. I mean, they will they will crawl over hot coals to to get the things that they want to stop women from having choice to do you know whatever to get. To, I I swear to God, after Trump got three appointments to the Supreme Court, I thought you know on that night of Judge Amy getting sworn in on the on the uh, Mussolini balcony there at the White House. They all went inside. Clarence Thomas went with them. I said, I said to a couple of friends, he's going, Trump's having him come in there because he's going to get him to resign. Resign while I'm still in office. I've, I've still got another 60 days here. We can get number four. We can get number four. These Democrats are, are so weak. And I, I just was so worried until a time came where it was clear that he wasn't going to get four. But, yeah. but man, I just, I, I, um, I'm beside myself here with, with um, not understanding what Democrats, and I, I understand there's a variety of Democrats, there's conservative, centrist, progressive, uh, whatever, um, why they don't, why they still think that they could work in a bipartisan way with people who have no interest in this. And, and what, I mean, what issue could be more bipartisan than passing COVID relief? Exactly. And saving lives. Then right. letting people go back to work, letting them pay the rent, letting how and the Republicans believe by standing because what's their lesson? They learned that that two or three hours after the after the mob was removed, they voted the way the mob wanted them to vote. Those those eight senators and uh, those hundred and thirty nine, whatever it was, uh, members of the House. So they, I think, they got a boost from that. You know, it looks like they lost, but in their minds, they didn't lose. And the fact that they can still control the Senate with this, I mean, Adam, seriously, I do. I don't know if we have time for these these Democrats to wait and see that the Republicans have no intention of getting along and playing nice. By that time, we will have lost another hundred thousand, two hundred thousand Americans. And I, I just help me out here. Yeah. I listen. I, I agree with you. The, the good news is there's this there's this uh, end run around the filibuster that can be used in certain circumstances called reconciliation. You know, Senator Bernie Sanders, chair of the Budget Committee. That's that's the committee this process goes through. Uh, you know, he's talked about using this process uh, for things like the COVID relief bill, possibly some infrastructure. Um, there's a very limited number of things you can do through this process. I don't want to oversell it. It's also very complicated and can take a really long time. Um, but there, it's possible that on COVID relief, especially, you could use this process. The problem is it still leaves things like civil rights, democracy reforms, most climate change issues. None of those can go through this special reconciliation process. So on all of those other issues, you still face the harsh, rea harsh reality that the filibuster is going to block them uh, and Democrats are, are going to hit that wall. Um, I think that you know the, the way to apply pressure here is to keep the focus on delivering those results. These are these are not promises that we're putting in their mouths. These are not things that that we're telling them to deliver. These are things that they promised to deliver. These are things that President Biden promised to deliver. 
and and you know they can take a little bit of time to try and work with Republicans if they want. I agree that COVID aid is urgent. If if that gets blocked, we should do that through reconciliation. But fundamentally, the question is: Are you going to deliver the results that you promised? And don't give us the sixty votes. Don't give us the filibuster as an excuse if you can't deliver, because Democrats themselves can decide to reform the rules to allow them to pass all of these bills with a simple majority, which is they do control in the Senate with Vice President Harris. Before we go any further, I want to take just a minute to thank today's underwriter for this episode, Netflix, and their excellent documentary, Crip Camp, which is available right now on Netflix. Netflix has been supporting and distributing, as many of you know, as I know, so many excellent documentary films over the past few years. And Crip Camp, which is directed by Nicole Noonham and Jim Lebrecht, is one that I really think you should check out. Now, you know, I've spoken on this podcast and other places about how you never know when or where or how real change occurs. Sometimes it just suddenly happens. And it can come from the most unlikely person or from the most unlikely place. Well, in Crip Camp, you'll see a compelling story about how the disability rights revolution was kickstarted at a hippie sleepaway camp for kids with disabilities near Woodstock in upstate New York in the 1970s. Along with the usual activities that took place at the sleepaway camp in that era, these campers also learned about civil disobedience and political participation and it sparked their fight against the institutional discrimination and isolation that Americans with disabilities have dealt with for far too long. Now, I, I don't want to give away any more of, of the film because it's, it's so compelling and so moving. And uh, it's no surprise to me that it has won a number of awards, including the Audience Award. That's really the top award at the Sundance Film Festival. It was executive produced by a couple by the name of Barack and Michelle Obama. Uh, you may have heard of them. They're new to the movie business, and uh, they've had some incredible documentaries in their first couple of years of their production company, which is called Higher Ground Productions. And it might just give you some hope or some ideas about what you should do when things seem like they're politically impossible. I'll have a link to Crip Camp in the description page here on this, uh, for this podcast episode. So check it out. And I want to thank Netflix for supporting my podcast here and supporting my voice by underwriting this episode. And of course, thank you Netflix for supporting so much work of great filmmakers and supporting indie work films that would never have gotten made. Thank you for that. And thank you for being part of rumble. So what, what, do you tell us to do? We, those listening to this, myself tonight, what is the action, the action that we have to take? Is it just simply we need to get on the Senate switchboard, call the Senate, call Senator Cinema's office, call Senator Manchin's office? Um, don't call us, don't ask us to call Susan Collins anymore, please. <laughs> right? And I think we've all checked out on that one. Yeah. But, no, but seriously, isn't there, it, 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 what you, you have to tell us. You've written this great book, but that, 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 you know, it's what I always say to my crew when we're making a movie is the movie isn't finished till the audience sees it, gets up out of their seats and goes and does something. Yep. And, and I'm sure as an author, now you feel this way about your book. Um, it, it just can't be, oh, this is a breezy read of the, of the history of, of the filibuster. This, this has now, it's a book on fire in the, on fire in the sense that it is calling out to people who care about their democracy for action. What is that action that we need to take? And uh, just FYI, we're not going to storm the Capitol building. <laughs> yes, I hope not. No, you know, and then the book does lay out a, a proposal, a set of proposals for reform. If folks, you know, want to get into the details and, and understand what can be done. But in right now, we, have, we need COVID and we need right, all these right things now. to happen. That's right. That's right. Right now, what, what we need to do, I think, is communicate that Democrats promised to deliver results. So if, if you want to call them, that's what I would say is, you know, you promised results. So we expect you to deliver. 
If you can do it through, and we don't care if it's bipartisan, we want results. And, you know, if you think that Republicans are going to help you pass these promises that you made, we don't know what planet you're on. Um, so give us the results that you promised, deliver them. You have it in your power to deliver these results. We don't want to accept any excuses here. Uh, and don't don't tell us this Jim Crow relic as President Obama described right. the filibuster uh, is going to stop you from delivering the results that you promised. Right. A Jim Crow, a racist relic. That's the, that's the, the, the reason of the, why the filibuster came into being, especially in the, in the, um, in the sixties, fifties and sixties. And, and just like the racist relic called the electoral college, which was meant to placate slave states, you know, these things, we have to take care of this stuff. If we're going to call this a democracy, there's no democracy on this planet, correct me, professor, if I'm wrong, <laughs> where you can't get anything passed unless you've got not a majority of votes, but you have to have 60% of the votes. Where, where is that in any democracy, whether it be France or the UK? Right. Any place. It's, no, it's, it's 50% plus one. That's right. No, overwhelmingly, you know, modern democracies in their legislatures, whatever, whatever they happen to be called, are, are majority rule. Um, that's the norm. You know, Robert, Robert's Rules of Order is the, the, the you know, basis for most uh, legislative uh, procedures right. is, is majority rule. Um, and, and indeed, that's how the Senate was uh, until this, this sort of devolution over the last few decades. So it is not an extreme step. Uh, all we're asking for here is a restoration uh, of the way that the Senate used to work. Um, is not a radical departure. It's in keeping with the tradition of the framers and the way they wanted the Senate to work in the first place. They believe right. the majority rule, you know, this is overstated by conservatives. They like to cherry pick certain quotes uh, about, you know, Madison's uh, concern for minority, the protection of minority factions. And, and he did talk about that. But what's, what's really important to remember is that he always came down on the side of majority rule. Madison right. called majority rule the Republican small r Republican principle. Right. Uh, it was a foundational principle that he believed in. He thought the minority should have a role. They should have a right to have yes. their say. Yes. But when, when it push came to shove, you know, the majority rules. That's that's the vote. That's the decision point. That's the way it was taught to us in civics class when I was a kid. It was called majority rule, minority rights, meaning that you can't just sweep away those who have the the, the lesser vote. They have to be heard. They have to have their moment. They have to have a chance to convince you right. that you're wrong and that they're right. That 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 is such an you know the enlightenment that our democracy grew out of. The enlightenment that was taking place in Europe and in this country at that time was such an enlightened idea. It's like you can't give up the fact that it is always it has to be majority rule, whatever the majority says. But the minority have to have rights. I mean, the, the the majority rule in the South back in the 50s said uh, if you were black, you had to sit at the back of the bus. I'm sure the majority of people in, in Alabama like that, like that law, like that rule. Right. But the minority who knew that it was wrong had a right to protest, to sit at the front of the bus, to to march, to do all the things that the Constitution gave them the right to do so that their voice could be heard. And and change occurred. Change occurred. So I think when people call their senators and when you call Manchin and, and, and Cinema, Cinema is, I'm not talking about a movie theater. And this is her, that's her last name, Senator Cinema from Arizona. Um, you have to let the, the, the clerk or whoever picks up the phone, let them know that you know that the filibuster, the 60 vote supermajority, it's not in the constitution and that legally they can go in today and vote with 51 votes can pass anything. 51 votes can pass anything other than an amendment to the United States constitution uh, or the removal of a seditious senator or member of Congress who votes along with the terrorist mob. I think you need two thirds vote uh, for that. Other than that, if I'm correct, and remember, I only have a high school education, so do correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's it it you need 51 votes, and the Democrats have 50, 
senators and one vice president who's the president of the Senate. So they have 51 votes. That's right. And you, ne- you need to tell them that, the, that what do we want them to say? Pass, first of all, pass, get this organizing resolution passed right now with the 51 votes that the Democrats have. And, and then you have to stand up to this uh, filibuster thing. And if they threaten to filibuster, then let them have at it. Let them stand there and f- if they want to filibuster and see how long they last. Right? Am I right? They're not going to last. That's right. You should call them and restore the Jimmy Stewart filibuster. I mean, by all means, let let people stand on the floor uh, and hold the floor and try to try to make their point. By all means, but don't let a minority, a numerical minority, block a bill from passing by insisting on the sixty vote threshold. That's just not democracy. It's not democracy. So, so if we're asking people to make that phone call uh, now, you uh, you haven't worked there in 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 a while. Do you remember the number? Uh, uh, two, 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 four, two, one, three, one, but don't, don't quote me on that. There's, I, think oh, oh, I know the number. That's very close. That's really good. Cause how long has it been since you've worked there? A couple of years now. Yeah. I don't worry. I don't remember a number from two years ago. Uh, friends write this down or pause it and go back and, and put this into your, into your phone, the number to call the U S Senate. And here's the beautiful thing about calling the Senate switchboard. You literally don't need to know the name of your Senator. If you just tell them the state, they will say, oh, your senators from Michigan are Peters and uh, she's good on this issue. But yes, point taken. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but um, anyways, friends, here's the number. 202-224-3121. That's it. 202-224-3121. They'll pick up. They'll say, yes, I, I want to speak. I think you should call call Senator Cinema and, and Senator Manchin. Cinema's from Arizona, Manchin's from West Virginia, and ask them and and you know be be polite and they'll put you right into the office. You might get an answering machine because a lot of people are going to be calling. That's okay. Leave a message. They have my right, Adam. They have interns who are doing a running score on what's on that answering machine. Right. Right. Calls, calls absolutely. Calls really matter. Senators listen to the calls that they get. What they what they notice is the volume of calls, the volume in terms of quantity. And right. if, if they get a lot of calls on a certain issue, especially from people from their states, uh, that that factors in because those are their voters calling them and, and, and weighing in. Um, I you know as as we talked about, I used to work there, and I, I can attest that even at this sort of you know jaundice cynical stage that we're all in, phone calls still really matter. Um, still somebody. matter. Yes. So uh, 202-224-3121. And there's also like a, a, a secret second number that I'm going to give you just in case if it's busy and busy and busy and busy. It's it's a, just one number off. So you can write this number down too as your backup number. I don't mean to give you a second number uh, to confuse you. All right. Uh, but here it is. 202-225-3121. So it's 224-3121 or 225-3121. You should be able to get through. If you don't, leave a message. Uh, try back. We got to jam these lines on these two senators, but also while you're at it, because, you know, what else we got to do right now? Right? I mean, it's, you know, God bless. Every time I think that thought, I I think of somebody's loading groceries onto a shelf somewhere at some Kroger. Um. Or somebody's on the way to drive the the mass transit bus at four in the morning to be the bus driver for the day. All the risk that people have put their lives in in jeopardy, so that we can just simply have some food on the table, or we can get to work if we're working or or whatever. So God bless all of you for doing this. Um, for those of you who have literally, this won't take. It'll. It's literally thirty seconds of phone call. They would. They don't want to keep you on the line. All right. Um, you just have to tell them, get rid of the filibuster and all votes on all bills. It's 51 votes. That's the majority, majority rules. Get rid of the filibuster. Get rid of the filibuster. No filibustering in a time of pandemic, in a time of incredible crisis. So call your senators, call those two senators. And as Adam said, pay attention to those other senators that might be a little weak need about this or want to wait a little while. We don't have time to wait. Um, uh, call them too. It's 30 seconds a call. And I'm telling you, you'll be done with this in, in no time. And you can go back to what you're doing. We all have time to do this. We, it's, 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 
and and if you uh, and go online and and you can you can on Amazon you can read a free chapter there I think from right Adam from your book yep sure can uh, and um or order the book um and 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 you know start reading it uh, share it with others um it, it's it's uh I'm sorry to be sounding so kind of upset and discombobulated by this but if we don't get this right this week this is not next week's problem or a month from now this is today's problem tomorrow's problem we they need to hear they need to hear our voice and um you know and and go to adam's book if you need the facts on this but just remember the constitution adam correct i'm gonna let you say it explain it again the filibuster and what the law actually says. Sure. So, you know, the, the Constitution, when it created the Senate, let the Senate make its own rules. The Senate's original rules set the threshold for all votes, aside from a few uh, exceptions that you named. Uh, but for all regular legislation, votes were set at majority rule. Uh, that is still technically the way it is today. The vote to pass the bill in the Senate is majority rule. That's the way it's always been. It's the way it continues to today, except for the fact that a procedural tool has grown up uh, out of the Jim Crow era that now forces bills to clear 60 votes before it can get to the majority vote. That tool is now what we, and it, you know, used to filibuster, used to be people talking on the floor. Now, what a filibuster is, is the use of that procedural tool to force a bill to clear 60 votes. So uh, get rid of that procedural tool, get rid of the filibuster, go back to the historical tradition of majority rule in the United States Senate, which is the way the Senate operated for the vast majority of its existence. And every other democracy on earth, majority rule. Exactly right. 50 plus one. That's it, folks. We've got to make them do this. Adam, thank you for taking the time uh, to come on and and explain this. Um, uh, uh, Adam's book is called Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. Our job is not done. I know, man, how great we felt on election day and then the day after and how many other days it was before he was finally declared president. And then and then up and through January 6th, and we saw how fragile our democracy is and how quickly it could be taken from us if we're not careful. Our job is not done. And I think everybody, we know how many votes Trump got. I don't want to even say it again out loud. 74 million, 74 million. President Obama never got 74 million. My friends, we have a lot of work in front of us. We now hold the reins of power and we will be good with them and and we will be kind with them and we will make sure that the other side gets to have their say because that's who we are. We believe in that. But in the end, the American people have told us and told the Senate and the House and the guy sitting in the White House that they want certain things done and they want them done right now. And to, and to, and to disobey the edict and the power that's been granted to them by the American people. If you want to, if you want to make sure that we never have that many people voting again, or certainly not voting on our side again, just not. Make sure we don't do anything to give the people what they asked us to do for them. And they'll be sure to either not show up in 2022 and 2024 or vote third party or go some other wackadoodle way. That that has happened and it will happen again. This is our moment. Do not stop me on the street three years from now and say, damn, I remember the week after the inauguration, you were all like crazy about the filibuster and Damn, should have listened to you. No, do not say that to me. I need to be wrong. I need to be proven wrong that the, that right will prevail, that goodness will prevail. And, and I need all of you, 202-224-3121. You can make the call. I think they pick up that phone uh, somewhere close to midnight. Then they got an answering machine. But it starts early in the morning, certainly by 8 a.m., Call that number. Call that number, Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema, your two senators from your state, and anybody else you see on TV, any Democrat that you see saying, well, 
you know, he did say unity and we need bipartisanship. And no, he said unity, meaning we are going to be unified again with our United States Constitution. We're going to have unity for the things that we are sent to Washington to do. That's where the unity is. The unity isn't, isn't about kumbaya. The unity is to give the American people what, the, what most people want, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. They want the best schools for their kids. We, there's unity on that, right? We all agree on that. We want to breathe clean air. We want to drink clean water. There's unity on so many issues. We don't need to work toward unity. We don't have unity on a few things. Abortion, guns, uh, gay and lesbian people. Some of this, I'm, I'm just sort of laughing because I don't know why we can't be why it can't be unified because every single person listening to this has a, a gay or lesbian or trans or person in their family somewhere, the extended family, cousins, whatever. They're there. We already have unity because they already live in our family. This is craziness, my friends. Yes, reach out to your conservative brother-in-law and 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 you know, just say to him. Don't you just, don't you want to be able that if you get sick to not lose your house? That's what happens in Canada. Why do the Canadians get to live four years longer than us? Isn't that wrong? Shouldn't we be opposed to that? Use whatever logic you need to use to convince that conservative brother-in-law. But my friends, for right now, right now, our Democratic senators have to stop this filibuster. And I'm so grateful for Adam for coming on and explaining this to us. And um, and I want to just... Uh, um, thank those of you in advance for making that anti-filibuster call calls and then keep calling the next day and the next day please please make melt that switchboard down my friends we've you and i have done this before we've had some success so we just need to do this again <sighs> adam gentleson bless you thank you thank you michael uh, thank you for your activism thank you to my executive producer Basil Hamden, to our editor, Nick Quaz, and all the others who help me here uh, do what I do. Greatly appreciated. All right. Take care. This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore.